Hello, everybody. I'm Dwayne Mancini, and welcome to another episode of the Project MedTech Podcast. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. For more information on Project MedTech, our events we host, our consulting and advisory services, and to sign up for our monthly newsletter, visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, and follow us on LinkedIn. If you're enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcasts by searching MedTech Money on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. MedTech Money is an interview style podcast focused on demystifying raising and investing capital for MedTech companies. We also have two events this year, our Midwest Showcase in Cleveland, Ohio on August 30th and our Startup Symposium in Houston, Texas, October 25th and 26th at the Texas Medical Center for Innovation. More information on both of those events are on our website and you won't wanna miss them. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Valentium. Valentium is a contract design and manufacturing firm specializing in the end-to-end development, production, and post-market support of diagnostic and therapeutic active medical devices especially active implantables and other class three medical devices. Valentium's core competencies include electrical engineering and design, mechanical engineering and design, embedded software, software as a medical device, mobile apps, CGMP contract manufacturing, embedded cybersecurity, OT cybersecurity, systems engineering, human factors and usability, and automated test systems. With customers all over the world, Valentium works with clients in every stage and situation, ranging from startups seeking funding to established Fortune 100 companies. Visit valentium.com to explore your next step in medical device development. In this episode, our guest, Arpit Rayo at Anchor Health and I discuss ChatGPT, how it is going to change healthcare and business, generative AI and general AI, and so much more. So without further ado, my discussion with our pit rail. Medical innovation starts with medical discussion. Talking about the future, what comes next with Project MedTech. Okay. Our pit, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rain. I'm super excited to be here. Um, honestly, give a lot of media interviews, right? But this is truly one of the ones that I've been looking forward to for many weeks since I, uh, since you and I originally discussed this idea. Yeah, absolutely. So th- and this thanks is, for having me. Yeah, yeah. And this is your second time on the podcast series, um, which is super exciting. Um, the first time was all about commercialization. And this time we're shifting our focus to AI. Um, so... Let's let's chat a little bit. You had sent me over a Goldman Sachs study, right? Um, yeah. Do you want to maybe, you know, obviously this is an audio podcast. Um, do you want to give the listeners a little insight onto um, what that study was? Yeah. So first, first thing first, thanks for paying me this time. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> 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 that's really, you know, you know, we, uh, all this is fair game, but really the, 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 the hundred dollar check really sealed the deal, you know, <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, this, this, 
I think for anybody who's listening in today, if you haven't heard of ChatGPT and all of the thousand headlines around it in the last couple of months, I envy you because you've extracted yourself from the constant news cycle and you're probably either sitting in your basement or under a rock or maybe on your private island. Whoever you are, please teach me how to do this. But for the rest of us, if you've heard about ChatGPT or generative AI, it's been in news cycles um, for, for the entire year. There's a recent study that came out from Goldman Sachs. And, and in fact, World Economic Forum has kind of reiterated some of these concerns. It's estimated that generative AI will replace 25% of all jobs in US and Europe. So let us teach you today how you can save yours. I love it. So, <laughs> so, so let's talk about the, um, I thought you sent over a message. Let me pull this up here real quick. Um, that, okay, here we go. So the GPT-4 model from OpenAI, um, it scored top 10% in the bar exam, 80th percentile on the LSAT, 90ish percentile on the SAT and GRE, lots of fives on AP exams. Um, was this a different study that you sent me? Yeah, this is, this is a little bit different. So people have been looking at capability of, of this mm -hmm. new wave of, of AI technologies, GPT-4, chat GPT. These are some of the artificial intelligence or machine learning models, um, specifically the chat GPT, GPT-4. These are models that are uh, created and owned by a company called OpenAI. And I guess this is the time where I could tell you what qualifies me as an expert on this topic. Um, well, we I'm part of a company called Anchor Health, and we're one of the handful of companies that were invited and are supported uh, by OpenAI. And the, the idea being that we're pioneering certain aspects of this generative AI in healthcare, and they're really interested in working with us. So we've had insider look at this technology. We've been using it in some of our use cases. Now, Anchor Health is a predictive side effect management platform. So we've been using what, what I call um, the current state of AI. Everybody, um, it seems like everything, including you know your water bottle has AI these days. And, and that's really um, almost like version one of AI. It's almost like a dumb AI. And if you remove the marketing underneath, most of these are just predictions using basic statistics and just making sense of that data, um, uh, the large data sets. But that's, it's still dumb because it doesn't really provide you with anything novel, anything um, novel in the sense that it's nothing that you could have come up with yourself or nothing that didn't exist previously um so okay yeah so so um okay so so arpit for for those listening in who want to know more about 
everything you do at Anchor Health and and also your commercialization journey. Um, our pit was episode one twenty four of the Project MedTech series that we host. Um, so if you want to learn more about that, listeners, you can you can check out that episode. That one is um, equally as cool. Um, but uh, today we're kind of shifting into the AI discussion. So, um, Arpit, can, can you tell me a little bit about what is generative AI? Why is it different than normal AI? I mean, break this down. What's, what's the difference here? Yeah, so generative AI is a blanket term for any machine learning model that has the ability to create something that did not exist before. Now, again, is there one consolidated definition of generative AI? No, obviously not. It's a new technology. We'll get to consensus definitions in a few years. But uh, some of the examples of this are models like ChatGPT, which create conversations. If you ask ChatGPT, like I did, if you're a novice and you ask ChatGPT to come up with a script for Project MedTech podcast episode, it will come up with a script. Now, if it was my assistant, you know, I would have a conversation about performance improvement, um, but <laughs> it did come up with a script. And so okay. that's something that did not exist before. And it's just not simply crunching the data and coming up with a value. It's different. It's crunching the data adding something to it like, and I, and I want to say this carefully, like a human brain would, is creating something new. And this wave of AI is hugely different, hugely different than anything we've seen before. Yeah, so, uh, you know, if you start, if you mess around with this a little bit, you, you really start to see... Um, you know, like there's, there's, I guess there's folks out there who are going to look at this and go, oh, well, this is how, um, this will replace this. And, you know, it's going to eventually replace this. And you kind of go through this scenario and you're like, okay, well, some things is just not realistic, but, but other things there are. Right. And so, um, if you think back to like the industrial revolution, um, how is, how is this different than that? Right. Um, is this going to be the largest shift in jobs? Yeah. So if you were riding a horse 200 years ago and somebody said a machine's going to come along and help you get to your, your destination faster and not need you to, you know, scoop the poop um, as your horse <laughs> chugs along, uh, you know, you would have looked at them with, with a little bit of skepticism, but that's what happened. And it, it, uh, made many, many industries, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of jobs completely obsolete. Uh, and whoever remains, you know, like there's still bespoke tailors and, and all that, and you can still uh, get a bespoke shoe made. But for, for the most part, industrial revolution transformed our society, moved many of the manual or most of the manual repetitive processes into um, automated machine-based processes, right? But none of these machines had brains. They had logic, you know, this gear turns, so that gear turns, and then 
here's, you know, your, your shirt comes out or the fabric for your shirt comes out the other end. But that's not smart. Even that, even the industrial revolution, and I say that as if it's trivial, but even the industrial revolution was a huge turning point in in our evolution as a species, as a, as a civilization. The major difference now is that, and this is the thing that worries me, and, and this is the thing that, um, you know, Satya Nadella and Bill Gates and everybody else has been talking about, is for the first time, you have a technology that can actually simulate human intelligence, For the first time, think about yeah. how incredible that leap is. For the first time, you can put something on your computer. You can type in something on your computer or, um, or say something and you get a new insight from right. the machine. It's almost like I feel like this is going to this artificial intelligence revolution or this fifth industrial revolution, as some people are calling it, is almost going to create a branching off point in the human species as a whole. There are going to be humans that have generative AI expertise and or AI uh, generative AI ownership. Right? You can know how to use it or you, you own something that, you know, is, is a generative AI, like some kind of use case for generative AI. And those human beings will have an unprecedented edge over the rest of us, an unprecedented edge. And, and this wasn't possible. It's almost like they can make do with they could probably get more smart people to work for them at way uh, better economies uh, of scale. And they have access to this unlimited resource. Like if they wanted um, something, you know, a smart person to write a book chapter or a whole book, they could deploy a machine uh, learning model. And that thing could be done 20 times, 100 times faster. Like the the efficiency that this would unlock for that subgroup of us is just astonishing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what worries me. Right. And and you, you talked about, I gave some of these stats earlier, right? Um, about the, the top 10% in the bar, 90% on the SAT and GRE and, that's, and that kind of thing. But in your own content creation you've seen some of this can you can you explain some of that yeah so we've been we've been fortunate enough um, to be on the edge uh, the, on the leading edge of this um, revolution uh, we have a couple of use cases in our company um, we push out thousands of pages of top quality medical content patient facing medical content every year and we have millions of, of page views for those contents uh, whether it's for cancer patients, for surgery patients, etc. So we decided very early on that we weren't going to be pure human uh, content creation, content curation and production anymore, that our pipeline needed to be a hybrid approach. 
So we've been playing with some of the generative AI models and the, the AI doesn't always get everything right, but if you give it the right kind of prompts and if you train it, if you fine tune your models properly, you can get 80% of the final product in seconds. So yeah, which is, which is, is incredibly helpful, right? I mean, yeah. um, I just, you know, we, we had, we, me and you had talked about this a little bit ago when you called me and said, Hey, let's do an episode on this. And, um, and then I Venmoed you the hundred dollars. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, we, we, I, I said, you know, yeah, if I had something that could half bake emails for me or documents, and then, you know, I could just update it to say, oh, well, that's, they kind of missed the boat there, but let me correct that myself. It, it increases my efficiency a ton. A hundred percent. That's, yeah. that's exactly right. You know, so many times when we were sitting in front of our computers and trying to come up with a response to an email, like imagine, just imagine that your first layer, you could click a button or maybe even not the generative AI model on your email um, provider, it could read through the thread and come up with 50-60% of the response. Or, here's one better, for especially for all of those people who love writing, you know, mini novels as email responses, please don't. And, <laughs> and maybe, you know, that, that, that synthesis of your thought processes, you know, you type whatever you want to type. Maybe you get prompts upfront from the from the from generative AI model, or you get the you type in whatever you do, and then the AI model runs on that and makes it more efficient. Mm -hmm. Yep. So there are so many of these use cases. Um, we've seen like we've been tracking this. There's thousands of senior developers, people at Google, Amazon, uh, hugely successful companies around the globe, they, they are reporting on these developer forums that they're now starting to use this almost like a first year developer. Like if they get stuck or if they have an idea, they'll throw in the query to one of these models and, and it'll give them the basic outline of a code and they will use that to improve, uh, to, to write quicker. Yeah. Or if they get stuck, you know, the, they will put in like, hey, here's the code, here's where I'm getting stuck, can you show me the problem? And mm -hmm. it will literally walk them through the logic that that code creates. And, and so this is the use case, you know, it's the same use case when you talked about the bar exam, this model scoring top 10%, it's not going to be your lawyer, probably not for another 20, 30 years, but it's going to help your lawyer get through the thousand pages of discovery faster and right. create that response faster. And that lawyer could say, hey, instead of billing you for 10 hours of work, I can get this done in two hours mm -hmm. without needing that associate or without needing that junior attorney. So. That's the challenge is this generative AI technology isn't going to replace the mid managers or the senior managers. It's just going to be that first layer, yeah. at least for the next few years. Right. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, so so an example um, that I just saw, I was at out, I was out at um, <coughs> LSI um, in in Dana Point um, two weeks ago, and a we were, I was listening to a panel discussion. I took a few notes and I'm talking to this other guy afterwards who uh, is with LSI. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I just put my phone up there and it records the conversation. And then I send that, that uh, file to, uh, you know, like an op- open AI. Um, and it, um, it will actually um, type up a summary for him. Wow. Yeah. Right. So he records, he records the panel discussion, sends it to OpenAI, and it says, Hey, give me a, you know, one minute summary of what was talked about. Okay. Here you go. Boom. And you get a summary. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, this changes how you take notes and your ability to focus on the conversation, right? Because how often, you know, if you're talking to me right now and I'm starting to take some handwritten notes here, inevitably I'm, I'm somewhat tuning you out while I write that note. Right. Well, well now I don't have to, I'm completely dialed in. Um, and so, you know, even simple things like that, I just, I, I heard that and I went, Holy, Whoa, wait a minute. You know, um, the, like we said, writing, writing at least 80% of the email, right? I was just on vacation for the last week. And the week before that I was at LSI, I'm sitting on a mountain of emails I have to reply to. <laughs> right. I mean, but if yeah. chat GPT can write, you know, 80% of all those, well, now I'm flying through those. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. It's, it's a really interesting topic. So, so, so anything to, to respond to that before switch to healthcare? So that's spot on. And if you if you think about like expand on that a little bit, right? If mm-hmm. you're a C-suite executive, you're getting into meetings in and out every day, all yes. day long about projects that span the entire uh, workforce, right? And and so one second you're listening to your marketing guy talk about how to optimize for Facebook because your last month's um, sales that were DTC, um, they were dropping because you didn't have as much engagement. You know, the next meeting you're you're talking to your product guy and, and how they're facing supply chain constraints. Imagine not needing to keep track of all of the nuances there. Mm-hmm. And this is different than I'm sure you and I both and many, many people on this listening to this podcast have tried to use virtual assistants or transcribers in in Zoom or on Teams. And those are garbage, right? I've probably had, you know, a thousand recordings or transcriptions, and I've never gone back and listened to them because it all it does is text to speech or sorry, speech to text. That's it. So I get this garbage, you know, this data dump, which is neither insightful nor useful. But imagine that instead of that, I get a one paragraph summary of the conversation. Not only that, I can get, you know, there's such a cool thing about natural language processing. And, you know, that's part of the generative AI revolution as well, is you can get the sentiments. So you can look, you know, on your end, you can listen to the voice of the person uh, opposite and pick up on on cues that they they weren't necessarily sending out consciously so they may be upset they may be really excited about certain 
small aspect of the discussion and you may have missed it, but your generative AI, your NLP, uh, natural language processing uh, model could pick up on that sentiment. And so imagine you're yep. a sales leader somewhere and you're pitching a $100 million contract and you picked up on the, the right cue at the right time because you had this technology behind you. Like that could be huge. Could be huge across disciplines. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Um, so, so our let's kind of transition this into use cases for healthcare, right? Um, yeah. Because obviously, you know, with our our industry, that is going to be, um, uh, you know, the hot topic. People want to know. Okay, great. I, I understand. Um, you know, generative AI now at this point, based on our by kind of our, our, our conversation back and forth. But how does this get into healthcare? Healthcare in our country has, and this may not be news to anybody, but there is incredible consolidation. Consolidation across specialties, consolidations across regions, across health systems. We've gone from a health system that had tons of mom and pop operations, smaller clinics right next door, the doctor that would come in to check on you as, as you were a five-year-old kid and then take care of your five-year-old kid 30 years later. We've gone from that to this huge number of, or, or increasing number of large corporate entities. And these are getting vertically integrated as well. So, you know, your, your healthcare provider also has an insurance arm, who also has a data arm, who also has a, a home care arm, who also has a, a in-house pharmacy for specialty and non-specialty. And then they also have your, in, in that pharmacy, they have a primary care practice that kind of completes the loop. So these consolidated larger players are looking they're looking at their labor expenses they're looking at the inefficiencies in ways that have never been done before in healthcare and they're asking questions around cost questions around um, labor uh, opportunity the opportunity costs associated with labor turnover burnout um, you know many of those questions that a smaller practice would not ordinarily be asking and it, you know the the one thing that comes to my mind and everybody says healthcare is traditional it's true obviously um but so is banking right if 20 30 years ago and i'm not trying to date myself here but 20 30 years ago if you had asked a person on the street you know your dad perhaps like do you think this personal interaction, you knowing the branch manager of your bank and going in and checking, uh, you know, cashing checks uh, your, your, for your salary, is that going to completely go away? He would have said, hell no, there's no way that, you know, this personal touch is what makes banking the way it is. And now I walked into one of the larger banks a few days ago and you walk in, you, you check in, check yourself in on an iPad. Then one random person comes out from one of a row in, of cubicles. They say, you know, they verify and they take you back. They have your conversation that you want to have. And then 30 minutes later, you, you go back. That's how depersonalized the traditional banking sector has become. 
in mm-hmm. just the last 10, 20 years. And that's that. <laughs> the funny thing is, this is only, you know, like of all of the banking needs that you've had, think about it, right? In the last two years, 95 to 99% of your banking needs, you actually never saw anybody. You just logged on to your phone. You never even used customer support on your phone. Everything was done through your phone. Oh, uh, 100%, right? Like right. I, I mean, um, I can't remember the last time at, at the various institutions where we have money at. I can't remember the last time I actually went in and talked to someone face to face. That's right. Maybe out of college to, <laughs> to, to, to open up, to open up an account. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, ever, ever since then, right. You just think of anytime you've ever opened up anything else, right. You open up a, a new savings account. You probably just go online and sign up for it. You open up a new uh, IRA. You probably go up online and just, just sign up for it. Right. It's very rare that you go in and go, hi, I'd like to open a, uh, a Roth IRA. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) And, and, you know, so the generation, the people who are experiencing that kind of banking are also the kind of the the same people who are going to experience healthcare in a new way. Right. So Mm -hmm. the whole premise that healthcare has to be delivered in person, that's already gone away. right? Right. Doctors used to say, I need to examine doctors like me, by the way. I was a huge, huge believer, even three, four years ago, that I, you know I need to see the patient in person to make critical decisions about their care. And then telehealth went from one to three percent of all visits before COVID to twenty to thirty percent of all visits now. And even better both patients and doctors survey after survey prefer telehealth in many situations including cancer care mm-hmm. so this whole emphasis that we're a traditional industry you know when people get sick they need you know they need that healing touch they don't necessarily need that touch in person I- Arpet, I agree. I mean, you, you know, you know what I mean. So, so, so you're a physician, right? Um, but from from my side as a patient, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know what I want as a patient? I want I want that physician or that doctor or that clinician, whoever it is. I want I want their um, I want their undivided attention. I want them mm-hmm. to be able to focus on me. And whether that's in person or virtual, I really don't care. I just want to have that person's attention and, 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 you know, to be, um, totally blunt, you know, it's like, okay, if I go in and see, I just had this happen. I just went in for my annual physical exam. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, my appointments for six thirty PM doctor didn't come in till seven thirty PM. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you think at that point, I don't want to be there. Do you yeah. think he wants to be there? No, of course not. Right. <laughs> um, and so um, if, if, if that's virtual, maybe that doesn't happen where all of a sudden, you know, you kind of get behind in that day and now you're kind of rushing through to, to catch back up. I mean, I don't want yeah. that. Right. And so, yeah, um, yeah I mean, and, I, I, I totally agree. <clears throat> and so going back to our, our 
so I'm going to come back to this because this is such a great point. Um, and there is actually a use case for exactly what you said. Right now, that's that's a that's a shift in in how doctors take care of patients in that visit. That's already starting to happen, and I'll come back to this. But if you look at it, you know, let's go back to that larger healthcare player that's vertically integrated um, in in many major markets. Now they're looking at their patient profiles and saying, "Hey, a third of my patients don't even want to come in in person." And then I have this front office staff, I have the medical records team. I have so many people, I have this huge infrastructure that's taking up 60, 70% of my budget every year. And how do I automate at least some of that? And that's where this whole generative AI automation piece comes into play. Because not only can generative AI do all of the things that a traditional AI could have done, like AI, the dumb AI, zero point, you know, 1.0. Um, it could, you know, take logics and automate jobs, but also now it can do many of the things um, that that uh, the front office staff already does, like, you know, taking in basic information, um, uh, you know, synthesizing uh, the patient's query in a way that is clinically actionable for the doctor um, that that medical records team that was gathering tens of thousands of pages uh, and just randomly scanning them in now your generative ai could scan those patients uh, well they could reorganize those medical records faster and thematically so they could you know this uh, there could be a company that all that company does is medical records it ingests it and makes it make sense for the doctor. So you go from needing, you know, three or four front office staff people to maybe one. You go from needing a couple of people in your medical records team to maybe one. You know, that generative AI could look at the doctor's note and draft up a, a request for records saying, hey, send me this, this, and this. Like, that's the kind of stuff. And I'm not saying all of this is going to happen tomorrow, but this is coming. We're talking about how this is going to play out in the next five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. Think about, you know, BlackBerry versus iPhone and iPhone version one versus where we are now in 10 years. It's not the the leaps in technology are going to be huge. And so those jobs that can be automated upskill now. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're one of the front office uh, staff or if you're a medical assistant, upskill, 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 upskill while you can. Um, if you're an entry level manager, diversify your skill set, learn more than one verticals if you can um, so that you can move on up into that mid management um, and, and have a better chance at retaining your job. The same goes for doctors. So doctors have already been at risk. And, you know, even the practices that are growing fast now, um, they're choosing to use what are called advanced practice providers or mid-level providers. So these are your nurse practitioners, your your uh, physician assistants, instead of hiring doctors. And that's just a, you know, they've figured out that it costs a third of what a doctor would cost. And the patients are kind of not almost, but maybe, you know, 80% as happy for the most part. So now, if you have a technology 
that can take, you know, the, the first year, the intern level tasks. You may not even need those many advanced practice providers. So at every level, there's going to be some level of job cuts, no matter how specialized you are, there's going to be some level of job cuts um, in healthcare. So doctors should, for the first time, I think doctors should really worry about, you know, because there may not be enough positions in the future for first year doctors to to get the kind of training that that we're able to provide them now because the clinical workflows are not going to be set up for that. So it's just one of many things that are going to change in, in, in medicine in five to 10 years. Yeah. 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 So, so the, the shift's inevitable, right? Um, because of all the things we've mentioned, efficiencies and uh, significant cost reductions. Um, talk to me a little bit about the pain of implementing this. Um, I know I want to get to the, to the, to the barriers, but you had brought up a specific case with, uh, Texas oncology. Yeah. So I was, I was in Florida, um, a couple of, well, last week, and I listened to this administrator tell everybody the story that they lost in COVID the two years, they lost 60% of front office staff, medical assistants, uh, people in medical records, think about that. This is an organization that generates about $5 billion in revenue. They have over five, 6,000 uh, employees, a pretty sizable presence in Texas, and they lost 60% of their staff. How big of an opportunity cost is it going to be for them to fill those those roles, to train everybody up? So. Every organization, every large organization today is having some conversation about, yes, it's going to be painful to implement some of these automations, some of these solutions, but is that pain a good enough barrier to say versus replacing 60% of your staff or or even 10% of your staff? Because that's, that's the attrition rate no matter what you do, no matter how much you try to align people behind your mission. 10 to 20% of your front office or, or the, 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 the uh, paraclinical staff is going to, to leave your organization in the first couple of years of employment. So do you keep doing that or do you find a, a sustainable, scalable way of, of uh, implementing this? Yeah, interesting. And, and, and our pit for med tech, um, even more specifically. Right. So we, we talked about healthcare, which, which is, is we needed to cover the bulk of that. Right. Um, you know, I think anytime you're trying to, to think about different effects on, on various things, you need to start at the, the highest level. Right. And as a med tech company, you're selling to the healthcare, um, mm-hmm. uh, industry. Right. But, but more specifically to med tech, what's the use cases for this? Yeah. So. Let's go through the, the whole life cycle of a med tech company. Ideation. Perfect. Trying to find an idea that is relevant, you know, an area of need. Not every founder has the, the background for generating those ideas. So if you're, if you're looking at an industry niche and trying to figure out what exists, even currently, we have the capability that you could put in a query in one of these models. I keep going back to OpenAI because that's that's who we have partnership with and who we've tested a lot. But you can go in and say, 
what are the medical devices approved for um, treating arrhythmia, cardiac arrhythmia? And I think it will give you a pretty good list. And not only that, you could say, can you, can you, you know, can you compile the data from clinical trials on this device? And we've seen that work really well for certain drugs. It'll give you, hey, this improved um, overall survival in this study. It improved quality of life in that study, so on and so forth. And it'll, it'll, it'll synthesize that data for you. So that your research phase of ideation would cut down dramatically. The same goes for as you go through development. Um, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to say many of the as you as you develop your uh, your device through animals etc uh, and you want to make sure that you're not missing out on any major developments in the field um, that's where again instead of hiring an, a consultant and paying tens of thousands of dollars especially when you have not as much money to spare as an early stage company um, you could do much much of that research with these uh, new models so it could get you um, on the right it keep you on the right track uh, at, at a lower cost. As you right. get to human studies, this could help write manuscript for you. Yep. I'm not saying it does today, but it's not too far out. Mm -hmm. People have already used ChatGPT to write uh, portions of a novel. So it could draft up that V1 for you, the version one for you, for your manuscript. <laughs> Right. It could help put together your FDA packet. And then as you roll this out, let's say you're successful and you're, you're now a multimillionaire and you're looking at a mansion in Hawaii and, and trying to develop your patient information sheets. That's again, where these technologies could come in and make things faster for you for more accurate for you. So I think medical device companies um, could really see incredible value at every stage of the life cycle of the development uh, life cycle and also um, see a significant cost reductions if, if they get this right a hundred percent i mean so you know one thing to add there right you kind of brought up like some of that market data um size mm -hmm. of the problem that sort of thing right like for for the work that project medtech does we constantly look for the, you know sources of information like that that are free Right, that we don't have to pay for some some market analysis or some big long report, um, but to be able to get that, um, you know, through open AI or, or generative AI, I mean, that sounds uh, amazing, especially for us and all our startups, right? Because we're working with some of the early, really early stage startup companies, um, so it totally makes sense. I love all the points you uh, hit on there, and I'm sure you know as we we go here, there'll be a hundred more that this will help um, speed up. Um, but um, so 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 based on time, though, barriers. Right. I mean, you, you, you brought up Black, Blackberry versus Apple. Right. Um, and that one resonates well for me um, only because like if I look back at, OK, the freshman freshman year of college for for my wife and I would have been uh, 2009. Right. I had a iPhone. She had a Blackberry. Um, what do we both have now? Um, you know. 12, 13 years later, <laughs> both have iPhones, right? Um, right. Yeah. There's, there's no more Blackberries. So, um, 
you know, obviously the adoption of technology takes time, right? There's going to be these immediate things that, that, that we see and that, you know, are going to happen right away. And, um, but, but what are those barriers that we're going to see both short and long-term? Yeah. So I know we're kind of reaching the end of our time here, but I'm going to outline a few. So all these technologies assume that you, the underlying data set is as accurate as possible, especially when you're talking about that, that research angle, right? Where making sure um, the, the model runs and learns from the right data set. So I think in healthcare, that's a, that's a pretty big barrier. Um, a lot of our, our data sets are very crude. They're uh, full of unstructured data and tons of companies are working on uh, standardizing those. And, and I think that's gonna continue to develop um, over time, but accurate data is absolutely essential for many of these functions. Um, not as much as the dumb AI, though. I think the generative AI will be able to recognize the gaps in data, and will be able to at at some you know at some point in the near future, it'll start flagging, uh, flagging you when the data the underlying data is not accurate enough. I think um, so. Uh, the the accuracy of the data, I think the need for that is going to go down just a little bit compared to the the, the dumb AI phase of our our evolution. Um, also, not everybody has the expertise to build and deploy iterative generative AI solutions, one or more. So, you know, uh, then you as a large organization, as a C-suite leader in uh, a large healthcare system, it's always a question of build versus buy. I will say. Uh, this is going to be a simpler question now because no matter how big your organization, the the requirements for creating, maintaining uh, these generative AI-based solutions is, is so tremendously different than anything before that I think for most organizations, even Fortune 500 companies, it's going to be a hard argument to say that, hey, I'm going to build this on my own. Um, the, the gap between what ChatGPT or Anchor's AI, uh, you know, our generative AI models, what we are training these models on versus if you were the largest health system and what you would have the capability and in-house expertise to do that. I, I think for most healthcare systems, for most C-suite leaders, uh, the answer is going to be buying. but which one do you buy? So that that's build versus buy, I think is gonna favor buy uh, in the near future. Then you have questions around patient expectation, patient experience, you know, you gotta make sure your patient is prepared to accept the, the radical departure from the usual care. And in the short term, that may be painful, but in the long run, as you can see from the profits from the bank example, in the long run, uh, technology-first solutions are going to be the way to sustain, to thrive a larger organization. So, But as long as you, you keep the patient's expectation and their experience aligned with what you're doing, I think you should be fine. There are questions around liability. Um, of what happens if you deploy an AI model at the front line of healthcare and it doesn't do something right? Well, that's that's the shared pain point, right? It's it's like saying all my staff is trained perfectly to follow every procedure, every SOP, 
every time with 100% accuracy. That's not going to happen. So you will have to assume some liability, no matter if it's human beings or technology, um, but that's a conversation that's ongoing. The final point as a barrier is the ethics, right? So many people are looking at generative AI and saying, what, what does this mean for humanity? What, you know, is, is this the ethical approach to improving outcomes in healthcare, to improving delivery of healthcare? And that's a discussion I don't see that as the deal breaker for most organizations, but you have to be aware that your partner for generative AI has the highest possible code of ethics that they follow. And it's clear to you when you're going into contracting with them. I think that's gonna be a big deal because these models will evolve in ways we can never imagine. And you want your partner to be ahead of the curve on ethics of generative AI. Uh, and that comes with experience. You know, I wouldn't be having this discussion unless we had many years of experience on this subject. So yeah, uh, find a partner with lots of expertise and lots of uh, a well-established code of ethics. Awesome. Okay, so roadmap of, of uh, <clears throat> how we get here or, or you know, people who are listening in who are curious about this and and want to start taking action items or or at least things to be doing or thinking about, you know, so that um, uh, you're on the cutting edge of this right as it expands and grows. Um, what does that that roadmap, you know, kind of look like? Yeah. <laughs> so the reason, Dwayne, that I stay up some nights and think about all of this generative AI, and those have been many, many nights uh, since the start of the year, is because I'm not gonna retire anytime soon. But if you are, um, if you're retiring, I, I would say, if you're retiring in the next 10 years, close your eyes, forget about all of this. Just relax, go sip your coffee, go on that evening walk with your dog, forget about all this commotion, this is not gonna be an issue for you. Um, and just, you know, that it's, it's immaterial, just yep. smooth, smooth, uh, smooth sailing for you. Yeah. Right? Everybody else, if you're not retiring in the next 10 years, everyone who is on this, listening to this, it's for us, it's adapt or perish. So start looking beyond the headlines, you know, don't treat CNN or any of the major organizations or minor organizations as your only source of truth. Look at the underlying thesis, the underlying studies, learn the basics. Everybody at Anchor Health, everybody at our company needs to use generative AI in some capacity. We're teaching them to be ahead of the curve. I don't, I'm not saying if you're like the VP of clinical affairs at a large organization that you should learn to code, but at least, you know, open an account with one of the one of the generative models, ChatGPT, BARD, or even Anchor, uh, if it's relevant for you, and use it. See what it's all about. Be familiar. That's step one. Just learn the basics, be familiar with this transformational technology. Um, if you're in a position where you are a key stakeholder and you can meet vendors um, that are creating these breakthroughs, then meet them. Take that, take that intro call with the sales team, see what it's all about. 
see how it can solve some of the what use case they're solving and what's novel about their approach. Many of our conversations with healthcare system leaders revolves just around making them aware. Like this is a new way of doing of solving this this age age old problem. And with those conversations, you learn, and uh, and it opens up your eyes towards pilots um, that you wouldn't have otherwise thought about. And if you are a mid manager, or if you're going to be a mid manager in ten years. Um, you should really keep a low threshold for piloting some of these technologies in the next, you know, one to five year time frame. Just small pilots or, or mid-sized pilots, but try it out because this may really be the thing that sets you apart as you grow in your organization. Very cool. Um, listen, Arpit, I, I really appreciate this conversation. I'm glad we had it. I feel like we could probably have 10 more of these over the next uh <laughs> Uh, uh, so many months. I, I, I think for sure, right, you're coming to our uh, startup symposium in Houston, Texas in October. Um, I think we are just going to have um, a generative AI or generative AI and healthcare panel discussion. Um, and, and we'll have you on that one because I think this is going to be something that, you know, even by October, we, we might have a little more, um, uh, more topics to discuss and, and, and kind of be able to go from there. So because it's an ever growing field, I think that makes total sense. So we just signed you up for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're if you're in my backyard, I can never say no to you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, our pit, I really appreciate it. Uh, hang on for one minute. We'll uh, we'll we'll chat offline here. But uh, thanks so much for doing this and talking about this this ever growing uh, subject. Thanks for having me, Dwayne. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at projectmedtech.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.